one of one of my favorite things to maybe laugh at, and maybe I shouldn't laugh at this thing. You have no idea what I'm about to say, which is <laughs> no, but better. I but I, I like to laugh, so I'm uh, I'm ready. I, and maybe during COVID, this got even crazier. Mm. But one of my favorite things is like when you meet someone for the first time, or or like you meet someone for the first time online, and you see their their picture. And you are like, okay, this is a good representation of this person. Then somehow a physical meeting of that person, whether that be actually in person or like on a Zoom call or something like that happens. And the person looks not even close to the same thing uh, as as they are today. And, And so like, you know, how often should someone change their headshots in on their social profiles? My headshot right now on LinkedIn is from... I believe college as a joke to kind of just like joke those kind of things, but like, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. I think that, uh, I think realtors are the worst. Personally. Really? Yeah. They, they I, I don't know. What a lot or that, no, we're no, not no, they're super old. Like, uh, you'll see, you'll see a couple floating around They're They're sporting the, the 1970s Brady's, uh, Brady bunch, blah, uh, sport coats or whatever. Oh, or I, the, no. the women with the pads on the, <laughs> yeah. No, I, yeah, it, it's weird though. Time goes super fast, right? And before you know it, your headshot is uh, five, six years old. Yeah, you just recently changed yours. I did. Um, I mean, I've seen some that are like twenty years old. It is, and maybe it's because people don't get a actual professional headshot very often. But I mean, look, your cell phone takes a pretty decent picture right now. Yeah, you could have someone take it, like. And also, I think it's a it's it's good to change it on on a pretty good frequency, just because it's a way for people to be like, oh, there they are, hello. But the visual aspects of business isn't and and one person is is important. And so today we have um, a guy who knows how to take a picture or two. Yeah, Jared Beasley. What's up? What's up? Happy to be here. Thanks for joining us. So what do you think? What's the frequency that someone should change their headshot? And do you partake in in that party? Yeah, it'd be great if the photo of you is an accurate representation of who you are. <laughs> right. So once once it no longer represents you, it's it's time to get a new one. That's what I think. Okay. Yeah. And when you take a new one, hopefully your photographer doesn't edit it to where you look like a porcelain doll or something, you know. It's not good. Also, like you were saying today, you, your cell phone can take a great photo. And as a photographer, I mean, I'm a little terrified because these AI headshots are out of control. I don't know if you've seen right. these, but mm, uh, yeah. you can generate a headshot of you looking corporate, of you looking more casual. Anywhere in the world. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's know. bizarre. Well, it was nice talking to Jared. I guess the uh, internet is going to uh, take over everything <laughs> yep. and uh, shortest uh-huh. show ever. Uh-huh. Like, uh, sorry, does that scare you? I mean, I, I don't. I wasn't going to talk about that at all, but I mean, yeah. Well, that was one of the things on my list, and I was I was curious about it in the sense of like, there's two ways, two schools of thought. You have, some people are really, really scared, so like uh, of AI, like my job is going to be eliminated, or the other aspect is. I can now become 30% more effective with my time so that I can take on 30% more workload. So I was just curious what camp you're in, Jared. Is this, are you, are you just uh, more productive or is there concern? Look, if you are afraid of new technology, then uh, 
maybe you shouldn't deal with technology at all because it's been coming for years and years. You know, I, I think back to uh, when cars first came out, you know, there was a union created for horses. Did you guys know this? Uh, because they're like, the car doesn't have a brain, right? It's right. not smart. It can't make decisions. Um, and this was actually back with tractors plowing fields and things. They're like, the, the horse, it knows what to do. A machine can never replace a horse, which now sounds so ridiculous. And uh, if AI, as a photographer or somebody creating websites or even copywriting anything, if you're like, oh, this is scary, we got to fight this, I, you're gonna, it's going to be a losing battle. You got to adapt, innovate, yep. see how can it help you. Um, and maybe in some instances, yeah, it will replace some jobs, but in other ways, it's going to free us up to do things that we maybe we're not even aware we can do right now, you know? So I'm like, let's, let's use it. Let's figure out how we can use it for sure. I'm terrified of a car having a brain. I don't want a car to have a brain. (laughs) So let's bring back the horses, you know? (laughs) Well, the crazy thing is so like, yeah, I mean, like there was a job that a guy that had to follow the horses and pick up the road apples after the horse. That was a job that was eliminated. I think for yeah. a while, I mean, you know, there used to be uh, elevator operators that, uh, you know, that would operate the elevator because the machine was not capable, you know, trusted enough to uh, take it to the right floor. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. weird, weird stuff. Yeah. Uh, what, what I view our job as a marketing agency is helping businesses represent themselves well and communicate what they do. And there's always going to be some sort of human element in working with other humans to do, to do that. I, I don't know that it'll ever, ever be fully automated. Um, yeah. And so as long as you're thinking about it in that frame of mind, you know, there's new tools. AI is a new kind of tool we got. Let's see how we can use it. You know, for sure. Yeah. The EQ aspect, I think, is going to be uh, one of the last shoes to drop. Although I did, I can't, rem- I can't remember the uh, AI platform, but... There is now, uh, I was listening about one. It was a platform that would can look at a picture and, and it will, so like if it looks at a meme, it can then look at it to the point where it can tell you the joke. So it, it can digest what it's looking at and, it, and, and it, it gets humor, which is really a crazy advancement. Uh, I, I didn't think we would see it so fast, but interesting times, man. Well, I- we live in the future. Yeah, I can use some AI sometimes for jokes that go over my head, you know. <laughs> yeah. hey, so what like, I don't understand this. What does it mean? <laughs> what would it say when Homer Simpson is, is, is rolling back into that truck? What, what, what would that meme, you know, dick uh, dictation um, have as part of that? Like, what would it what would it say to that? Man is scared, runs into bushes. Like, <laughs> I think what's so I don't cool know. about a, a meme like that is like there's sort of like this unspoken understanding of what it means in a way like and it can kind of mean a little bit different based off of what you're it's because it's a reaction right so it's like like yo I ain't dealing that or I, I, I didn't see anything or you know it kind of can mean multiple things it's more based off of what it's reacting to have you guys ever met before or is today, is today the first time I've, I've we've we've passed each other several times, uh, and I want to say that I was in the assembly building when uh, the magazine jukebox stuff was all being done. Um, but yeah, it's it's always it's always interesting to be in downtown Norfolk for as long as that we have, and uh, 
I don't know if anything formal has ever taken place. Got it. Jer- no, Jared has no done some. Jer- Jared has done some some quite interesting things. I think I met him back. Tell me if I'm wrong, Jared. I think you were one of the first customers of 1004 um, way back yeah. when. I feel like that's when we first met. So that's 2015 time frame. I don't know that you really started coming around immediately after that. Maybe you did. Um, but you are a musician, have put together some crazy uh, music videos, one about donuts, one uh, a love song that I think, and I say this every time I, I, I see you, I feel like should be a song on the radio. It's that good. It's not, but it could be. Um, you traveled the country with your wife for what seems like three years. Um, you created probably the most popular Instagram channel in the area called 757 Collective. Um, and probably some other things as well that I can't even think about <laughs> at this point. But those are like yeah. any of those things in themselves would be wild. And for all of them to be one, that's pretty cool. Like, yeah super red well, what's sort you're very kind you're very kind i appreciate that jared what is your favorite donut that's like asking the lord who's your favorite child you know <laughs> it's like they're all great for different reasons you know How cake, you or, feeling, cake or right? yeast yes <laughs> mm-hmm yeah, man, you want to talk about donuts, I can talk about donuts all day. Like, I really can. So, <laughs> I don't know if you what want you to think? get all into it, but I get into it. What do you think about apple fritters? I mean, they're the, they're the bomb, man. You know, mm, there's some pretty bad ones the out there. But... No, not the yeah. best. Um, they are incredible, though. Uh, yeah. You know, do- the donuts are on all types of varieties. Like, how do you compare an apple fritter to, like, a yeast donut with maple? Like, you know, they're totally different categories. <laughs> mm-hmm. Both great. Yeah. And, and, you know, Duck Donuts, which is a cake donut, they've really franchised big time. They're in, um, they got a lot of stuff in Vegas right now. Um, they have like a, a food competition there. Obviously, originated mm. down in Duck. Um, I don't know the exact number of franchises that they've done. They're in Northern Virginia. They got several locations here now. Um, and that's a pretty, pretty unique yeah. donut in itself. I think that's probably the most famous local donut. Um, there are other places oh, yeah. that people will say, um, like the place that you went to, um, Tim Glaze, I think it was called, Nan's yeah. Bakery, I think is what it's called in Norfolk. There's one, gosh, one in like Hatteras, apparently that's amazing. Um, but I would think Duck Donuts is the the world-renowned known donut. Yeah, Duck place. Donuts is definitely the best known local donut. Um, classic donuts is a donut food truck that's that's uh, got a pretty loyal following but the duck donuts model is really interesting isn't it you know it's a single donut it's just a cake donut it is. and you can come in you can customize it it's almost like the froyo craze yeah. where you come in and you get this like sense of ownership over like oh you know you create these donuts but then of course you're eating them almost all the time fresh which a fresh donut is kind of hard to dislike um <laughs> you know uh so how that whole how that donut holds up over time is another thing. But a fresh duck donut, it's hard not to like. I've been to Classic. They are incredible. They are very good. Um, I have driven <laughs> to, I've driven about 30 minutes because you have to go to like a, a certain location. And I have driven about 30 minutes to, to try those donuts. And they are, they are fantastic. Um, before I met you, Tim, I thought that skinny dip that, 
thinking about Froyo, Skinny Dip was a mm-hmm. local business. I thought they were going to go on the trajectory of like a Baskin Robbins or like a um, like a Chipotle, where it's here's a little here's a little item that you can customize a lot. It really hasn't. I mean, there's there is several locations, but it didn't. Froyo really didn't become that thing. But it's interesting that you say that about Duck Donuts, where it's literally they're making those donuts on demand, the actual donut too on demand. Yeah. You see them go through the conveyor belt system. It's it's pretty wild to to think about. How yeah, I mean that, that, that whole process. That's that's an experience within itself, which makes it pretty novel. It's cool. Yeah, now you got yeah. me wanting to and get I, a classic I, donuts. Thanks. Well, I think about it as a business owner with the donut shop, which I've never had one, but I have flirted with the idea. And you know, one of your biggest issues is waste, right? With the duck donuts, is sort of solved that in a way. Like they don't have a bunch of donuts that they set out, and then what do you do with all these extras? Um, they're making them on demand and they simplified the process. It's a single physical type of donut with different toppings. The toppings, you know, they don't go bad as quickly. You, so there's a lot of reasons why I think it's been successful beyond just that, that they're fresh and they're customizable. I think they've simplified some things. I've thought about this. <laughs> I'm just thinking about donuts. I could, uh, I could yummy down on a donut right now. Transition to a donut shop. We can uh, we'll do the Fervent Four show of donut shops from here on out. I'm all about it. Is Zach what, frozen uh, in time? I think that he might be. I would okay, so the, the question I was going to ask Zach was uh, so this is a uh, this is a thing where every Thursday at eleven Zach will have Wi Fi issues and, and we talk about all yeah. the time to be to be hardwired in and. Anyway, it, it it doesn't ever happen. I was just, I was curious in the sense of uh, if Zach was the one to, if he, I didn't get a chance to watch the Mr. Schwarma project that you guys did, but I, I would imagine if there was, if you needed a volunteer to, uh, mm-hmm. for an actor, I would have thought that Zach would have stepped up to be the volunteer because boy, he used to, he used to hit that place pretty hard. Oh man, the, the falafel that Mr. Schwarma makes is truly exceptional and i have not had better falafel in the states or internationally i i really do think that they've got something special going on <laughs> i don't know i asked the owner avi i'm like hey man what's this what's this special sauce he's like it's special i can't tell you you know <laughs> where'd you meet them you know this one guy named zach introduced introduced us oh zach did you make that happen i, I was i was asking jared if you were uh, like a, a an actor if in any of the projects so that you can get free uh, mr shawarmas no but um there was a time where i was just trying to introduce everyone to mr shawarma i was like you just need to go there like it's a wild <laughs> place have you ever been to yeah uh no i've not oh yeah man. it's it's unique it's a very unique place. And um, does Avi still own it? Yep. And they're about to open a second location. It's going to be in Hilltop. Mm. Okay. I remember way back when he was always thinking about doing one down there too. So the, yeah. it's spectacular. The is handsome are... biscuit still a thing? Yes. Handsome biscuit? Yeah. Is yeah, it? I yeah. guess. And then they got the thing across the street, right? Where they do a lot of music. Uh, toast. Yeah, toast, they got yeah. toast popping. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. 
you know there used to be a donut shop above uh below where you lived in norfolk uh was it was it there when you lived there paradise donuts yes paradise paradise came and it went yeah it happens in life sometimes you know i think donut i think the donuts that you're talking about like the waste and everything there also is a lot of prep time that guy was there for like 18 hours a day and he was just yeah. constantly slinging donuts because you'd have to make them wait for it to rise. A yeast donut, that is. And, I mean, he just – I don't know that he threw away a lot because I think he was pretty good at figuring that system out. But that's a lot of work just to make a donut. Yeah, I mean, and you're only charging a buck a donut. Uh, like. Yeah, like Sugar Shack where we filmed our music video, they get in there at 2 a.m. And they, they open at 6 a.m. So there's a good four hours of prep before they open. And that's a tough shift, you know, the 2 a.m. to whenever you get off. Uh, you know, you're asking a lot of stuff. When I worked in TV, the first six to eight months, I worked that shift, the three to one shift. Mm -hmm. And you get used to it, but, like, it's interesting getting up that early every single day mm -hmm. and, like... Yeah, I guess I grew out of that, but I mean, it's it's a, it can be a tough shift. Yeah, you got to have a, an even deeper appreciation. You bite into that donut, you think about it. Somebody's been up probably one thirty a.m. at least. You get in there too, so you take a bite. You're like, thank you, thank you for your your service. Thank you for your service. This thing's delicious. <laughs> the donut gods. There you go, Tim. I was just uh, at peace thinking about envisioning myself eating a donut right now. It's uh, this intermittent fasting thing. You know, when you get closer to the end of that fast, uh, the, the more appetizing a donut becomes. Hmm. I remember when I wasn't eating meat and I did that for, what, two years almost. The first time I ate chicken for the first time, I was like, this is the best thing I've ever put in my mouth. Like, it was so damn good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jared, uh, while you were... Traveling the world, I, I didn't eat meat for two years. Wow, that's a commitment, man. Good on you. Um, Tim, is it intermittent fasting or intermittent feasting? You know, when you when you get to that meal, is it just like you're slamming it? No, no you know, it's it's like once you get, like right now, I, I feel hungry. But once I get past that initial uh, sense of, of, of famishness, then, then it kind of passes. So like yesterday was a super busy day for me. And, uh, I ended up going, my fast was like 20 and a half hours. So it's like, once I passed that wow. initial thing, I just, you know, I was just back to back with, with meetings and driving and what have you that I just did not have time to eat. And it just, you just kind of go with it. So trying to train my brain not to be so food motivated, even though we've talked about food for the first 20 minutes of the show yeah sorry about that no all good i uh i'm always looking for uh the next place that i need to hit we'll, we'll wrap this part of the show with this question <laughs> though just because i feel like we have to since we've talked so much about food what is the food of the 757 uh man the food of the 757 uh I, honestly, I think you can make a really good argument for Filipino. You know, um, I don't know that's definitive, but there's a big Filipino population here and there's a lot of good Filipino restaurants and also just like a lot of people making it solid uh, because we're such a transient area. Otherwise, it's like 
what would be the definitive food? I mean, I mean, you'd have to probably also say something seafood related. So maybe like uh, crab, <laughs> I don't know, like soft shell crab or clam. Are we clamming it up? I don't know. It's always a different answer, which is yeah. I, I, maybe that is a unique and, and, and a good thing for the area. Yeah, I think that's because there's just not one clear definitive thing. You know, we're not like Chicago deep dish or New York slice or uh, Kansas City barbecue. South, Kansas City barbecue. We, we don't um, necessarily have like a, a core thing. Hmm. I can tell you it's not donuts. I, I need more of those. We, we don't have enough donuts. Concur. I concur. Yeah. Where, where is there a donut capital someplace? Or who's known? Portland. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you I've, in my travels in this life it's got to be la you go to la really there's a donut shop on pretty much seems like every corner a lot of them are mom and wow. pop and uh like new york and chicago have got some incredible shops but just not near the sheer amount of options well and quality options andrew quick on the uh quick on the google the producer side yeah in 2019, CNN and National Geographic both declared L.A. as the donut capital of America. Well, there you go. That's great. I never would have thought that. I don't that. disagree. I didn't, yeah. Yeah, I, didn't, I didn't think that. I thought that the eating habits there were so healthy that. Uh, the They're probably healthy them. donuts. <laughs> They're probably not. I'll tell, myself that. I'll tell myself that next time I'm out there eating them. One regular Krispy Kreme donut is only 200 calories. That's not crazy. It's when you eat the yeah. whole dozen that right. get crazy. They disintegrate, man. Exactly. A, a single Krispy Kreme, it's, it's in your mouth, is gone. I don't know where it went. <laughs> it is very good. All right, so you're from Kansas City, home of the uh, Super Bowl winning Chiefs a couple years ago, the Royals. Mm. Um, and now you're in Norfolk, Virginia. It's mm -hmm. I, I, I think maybe your friends growing up would be like, what in the world? Jared Beasley, why why are you in this little town that we've never heard of? Like, what brought you here? What keeps you here? You you, you traveled the world and you moved back here. Like, it, it just it seems maybe to the to the to the random. That's why would you do that? So so what what makes this place home? How'd you get here? Give us the story of Norfolk for you. Sure, I came out here to go to grad school in Virginia Beach. Coming from the Midwest, beach sounds pretty great and uh, wanted to get into media production. So I went to grad school for um, communications and business. And then after I graduated, I started a media company helping people advertise their services and sort of just stuck around. Actually, I moved from Virginia Beach when I graduated to, to downtown Norfolk and really enjoyed being in a mid-sized city that has a lot going on without feeling overwhelming. And it was my first taste of living in a kind of walkable area. And since that time, I've really fallen in love with thinking of what makes a great city that's designed for humans. You know, we live in America here where so much of it's been designed for cars instead of people. And what makes a, a great community? And I found that in my time here that I can live a, a life where I sometimes forget, like when I lived in downtown, I would forget where my car was parked in the parking garage, you know? So 
I enjoyed that part of living in Norfolk, but then also the proximity on the East Coast to so much stuff, right? You've got the beach, 30-ish minute drive from downtown, and then proximity, everything up and down the East Coast, D.C., Baltimore, Philadelphia, New York. Um, and then if you head south, you know, you got the Outer Banks and Charlotte, really, you can do that in a day. They drive down. But then the, the Appalachian Mountains to the west, so you combine it all. I think it's a pretty great, pretty great area. And uh, I will say that, like, in my travels across the country, living in our car for quite a while, that so many places are great. Wherever you're living right now, it's probably great. And if you try to live intentionally in wherever you are for, let's say, just six months, it's like being a tourist in your city. Like, what would a tourist do? Like, somebody who's doing really good research, not just the obvious, the obvious things. What are some, like, hidden gems? I think you'll find that there's a lot to do kind of everywhere if you, if you really put your mind to it. And um, there's a lot of great things to experience. But I do love living here. It's, it's pretty great. Yeah, that's one of the things, Zach and I, we've talked about it as uh, just anytime I go downtown or anywhere around Hampton Roads, just trying to view things as a tourist, as a, as a first uh, first time person being, person being in the area. There are a lot of really super cool things. And um, is that part of what, uh, what inspired the whole 757 Collective uh, movement, if you will, that, that, that you started? Yeah, so 757 Collective was born uh, in a different time, right? Instagram was a different world back then. Uh, this is like 2015. And at the time, like, I, you know, I was a photographer, enjoyed taking images and sharing them to Instagram. And I realized, man, like, there's got to be other people like me here locally taking cool photos of the area and, like, and discovering new places in the area, new parks or cool bridges or interesting little communities. And... I was like, I got to create like a hub account where I share other people's work. And so that's what I did. I just encouraged people to use their hashtag 757 Collective on images they've taken of photos taken here specifically in the 757 area code. And I just started sharing those and it took off. You know, people were using the hashtag like crazy. I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of images are tagged with it today. It's 250,000. Okay, there you go. Um, 250,000 images with that tag. And um, it's been really cool to learn about interesting places and things that have happened and things going on. Um, and I, I think in, whenever you're able to show that, like, I don't know how many people have said to me, wow, uh, I didn't know that we had this in our, basically in our backyard or, I, you know, I was kind of aware of it, but I didn't realize like actually how cool um, it was. And so, um, it's been it's been really neat to see like a community created through it. We had, you know, meetup events where we had like photo scavenger hunts and then Instagram partnered with us. Like back in the day, Instagram would send you kits, right? And they would have oh. you have like these little giveaways for these Insta meets and they had worldwide Insta meets where everybody was meeting up at the same day in different locations across the world. Um, and then we started some a merch line just selling some t-shirts and stuff that represented Virginia and 757 and those did well. And uh, yeah, so it's been a, it's been a cool thing. And all these, yeah. so, so when people post, so when people hashtag 757 collective, you then filter through mm -hmm. and you pick the ones that you think are the best to post to the actual 
Instagram. And do you see yeah. was that, that daily? How do you decide all of that? Uh, well, you know, it's very subjective. And um, sure. I want there to be a certain standard and quality um, to the images. And I want it ideally to show something unique, right? Not just a pretty sunset, which is, I'm not saying that's an easy photo to take, but around here with the beach, there's a ton of that. Um, so I, I, I like to see something different or unique and not just of the beach, right? So uh, yeah, so like that's a, a lightning storm over. Sunbridge, uh, is that Gloucester, the Ocean View one? I believe. Oh, Gloucester, okay. Yeah. And I'm trying to show off different spots in the whole 757, you know, like it encompasses the, the Eastern shore, uh, Williamsburg. So you've got all the history here in the area as well, which is another cool thing about being in this part of the country, uh, you know, Jamestown and all that. So yeah, just something that's like a different point of view. Um, and that's well done. Yeah. And 757 for sure. Obviously. I would love to dig into, uh, just some of the insights and what some of the data shows just in terms of like most popular locations, most popular. Uh, I mean, just, just any of, any of that data, it would be really, really interesting to see where people are going, what they're interested in and then really what to, uh, yeah. to leverage from a marketing side. Well, what the sweet spot is when it's time bound as well. So like in terms of relevancy. Uh -huh. So if you have, like we had a beached whale, that sucks, mm -hmm. right? And um, just a cool photo of a whale being beached. It's not a good thing, but it's a it's a relevant thing. And so an image like that would probably do well. Um, or a like something that's really powerful for businesses where I haven't totally taken this account, but I have thought about it for a long time is starting to share more local businesses that are doing interesting things. So if something's happening with the business, like, for example, we had a post a couple of years back about the, um, uh, the, the garden, the Norfolk Botanical Garden and their Lantern Asia exhibit that they had. And that post blew up, right? Because everybody's tagging each other like, oh, we got to go to this. We got to see this, mm -hmm. right? Um, so there's some real like influential power that the account has to be like, this is an interesting thing and it's happening. Like, go to this before it goes away. Right. Right. Uh, and well, that adds real value to the businesses. This one is when there was a hurricane, Hurricane Florence. So I guess that's more on your dated aspect of it, um, piece to it, where it's more relevant because, well, there was five years ago, apparently there was a hurricane going on. So, yeah. Did you ever, uh, is there ever been one of the, um, the ghost fleet, which is what, south of Bush Gardens? Is there, have you ever seen that? I think it's gone now. Oh, really? They moved it? Yeah, they got, yeah. Apparently someone would a, die there every year because the boats would, someone would be swimming up against it and the oh wow, the boats would, I don't know, move against each other. Yeah, so when a boat uh, decommissions, they were just rocking and rolling um, a little south of uh, Bush Gardens. That was wow. cool when I first learned yeah, that for the that. first time. Well, apparently they're not there anymore, so that's that's disappointing. Yeah, that was the old ship graveyard for a while, and then um, I don't know. I think that they end up like tugging them and tow towing them to I don't know Philippines or something. It, it was a long, long way away, and then they were scrapped or whatever the case is. But um, hmm. 
Yeah, you'd be able to see that from the James River too, I believe, or the James River Bridge, I believe. Hmm. I don't know. That's super cool. When it comes to images, visuals, video, what's something that a business maybe gets right a lot? And maybe what's something that you see as kind of a standard that they get wrong? Mm, yeah, so I've been thinking a lot about what makes for really good content, right, in 2023. And I, I've come up with these three things that I think that makes really good standout content. The first thing is that it's got to be true, right? It, it needs to accurately represent who your brand is, what you stand for, and not, you know, people can spot fake Right. We've we've seen so many marketing messages. We've watched enough videos and now we're, we're having to deal with deep fakes. Right. So whatever you're putting out, it has to accurately represent who your business is and what you're up to. And like be true to like what your brand ethos is. You know, secondly, you need to be clear. You need to be able to like in a can you in a single sentence, can you say like, what is the content's purpose or what are you trying to communicate in a single sentence? And then thirdly, like it needs to be inspired. Like you should be able to feel the joy behind it or the desire in um, what, if you're talking about a product, um, then it needs to be in, there needs to be some inspiration behind it. And a lot of brands are using um, influencers to talk about things, which is cool if they can truly represent your product well. Uh, I think some things that it doesn't have to be is high end. Right? It doesn't have to be this really polished, high-produced thing. It can be on a phone, um, as long as it's true, clear, and inspired. And then secondly, it doesn't have to be super long. Right? We're, we're living in this time where short-form content is all the rage. So I, I think that's kind of freeing in a way, that if you are an entrepreneur with a small business, that you don't necessarily have to go spend tons of money on high, highly produced piece of content and that it doesn't have to be this long thing. Um, as someone who creates high quality content for clients, uh, I'm just trying to be real with people and figure out what the best fit is for folks. Um, so I'm, I'm even encouraging people to, to, to not work with me in a lot of instances because it's not necessary. Uh, but yeah, that would be my little spiel on creating content today. What do you think? Four minutes or less? Is a What's what's the sweet Man, spot? I, you think I that think used to be the number four minutes. I think if you get up to four minutes, that's that's asking a lot from someone. It's going to have to be really compelling, or like there's got to be some sort of narrative that's like keeping you around if you're getting up to, to four minutes. You know, and in, in terms of advertising, a lot of ads like are you got to make it specific to the platform you're on, right? So if you're making like a pre-roll ad for YouTube. You got like five seconds now, you know, and then like the first second is like so imperative that you just nail whatever it is. Um, so like, you know, you need to think about where is this content going to live? Um, because if it's a TikTok thing, you know, what's necessary for TikTok is totally different than what's necessary to go on some other channel, like even YouTube, for example. So really make the content specific to the platform that you're doing. So repurposing, which was popular maybe 10 years ago, now maybe isn't the best way to create content? Um, I know. I, I think you certainly can repurpose it, but you might have to adapt what it is. So like, for instance, if you're recording a video like this, you know, you can create cut up versions, shortened version, highlights of the video. 
but then you could also pull out quotes, create a blog post out of it. Um, you could create a photo post with captions from it. And um, there's lots of ways that you could repurpose it, but you're going to have to like massage it to be whatever it needs to be for those other platforms rather than just like truly copying and pasting the same thing everywhere. You know, like people expect a like kind of a custom experience on the different whatever platform they're on you know if that makes sense how, yeah how you're, it, go ahead zach so your number one thing got to be true right to the to the company how does a company know if they're being true or not what if they think that they are but their their customer who is viewing it maybe doesn't see it that way how, how, how do they know that hey like Internally, we think this is true, but the world actually doesn't think that this is this is who we are. Yeah, as a business, you, you got to start out with your positioning statements and your brand pillars. Like, what do you stand for? You know, what what do you why do you exist, and what are you trying to communicate? Right. Um, there certainly can be a like. A misunderstanding if you're not clearly communicating what that is. But the, 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 before you do anything, you got to say like, who we, who are we? What do we stand for? What's important to us? And then when you go to market things, you know, create a, a persona, right? So um, if your if your company is on Instagram, what? How would your company talk on Instagram? You know, are they more buttoned up? Are they more casual? Are they kind of humorous or Maybe they're not humorous. Maybe they're just like to the point. And you could even give this um, persona a name. Maybe his name's Steve. He's, he's 42. He likes golf. You know, I, I don't know, like what? And then how would Steve talk, right? And Steve would be reflective of what your brand stands for and in, in how he actually says what he says. You know, you can think about some of the bigger brands in the world and how they communicate. Right. So think about BMW. So BMW is on Instagram and they're talking about a video they've shared or a photo they've shared. How would BMW talk in the caption? You know, what kind of tone would they have? Right. Think about it the same way with your business. What, what, how should, what should the tone be in everything you post? Yeah. I think that, how is it with you? I mean, you're the, of the creative mind. Uh, are you, do you gravitate towards, more creative businesses or are, are you just, are you been doing this long enough that you're like, Hey, you know, I can work with anybody at this point. Or is there a lot of coaching involved? If you have someone that's a little more buttoned up to just work with that, or do you do, do you, are you able to coach them to, to loosen up to, to get the right shot caption or whatever the case is? I mean, it's. Yeah, I, I, in terms of who we work with, I like to work with people who are making the world a better place. And that's pretty general. Um, but that could be in a lot of different things. I mean, maybe yeah. it's a donut shop that makes incredible donuts. I'm like, that's making my world a better place. I would love to work <laughs> with somebody like that, you know, or, you know, like one of our companies is an IT company and they are literally enabling other businesses to, to exist, right? So that's making the world a better place. So in terms of who we work with, it's just like, are you doing meaningful work? And do you deeply care about that? Okay, so let's figure out how to enable you to represent yourself 
truly and in the best way possible for you to meet your business goals, whether you want to grow or maybe you just want to refine where you're at, kind of clarify your positioning, um, improve your brand overall. Um, so it's definitely customized in case by case for sure. What uh, you have some pretty impressive logos on your website. How did uh, mm -hmm. CBS, ESPN, yeah, how did how did those come about? Is that just uh, through relationships, grinding, yeah. luck, timing? What uh, how do you how do you land clients like that? Yeah, it's relationship based, and I also think it's it's luck as well. You know, so much of uh, where we are, any of us who have had any level of success in life, I think we have to, you know, try to be as objective as possible and say, hey, like I've done some hard work, but I've also been privileged in a lot of different ways, whether that's my skin color or being born in America um, or what have you. But um, it, it also requires just like being true to your word, working hard, being a good person, and then putting out good work. And um, then when the opportunity to meet somebody comes along and you're just who you are and you're, you know, that, that lucky moment um, when that happens, then you can be successful in it. And so the, the work that we've had with national brands has been relationship um, recommendations and um, it's been great. You know, some of them are kind of interesting how they've, they've all come through, but I would encourage other people that, you know, you got to do good work and you need to be a good person and then you need to be lucky sometimes. And if you're, if you're out there and you're doing it eventually, I believe that it'll come through for you. So is that a networking thing where like you're just meeting with other professionals at those big companies? Uh, are, do you have some sort of system where like every 60 days you're saying hello? Are they just randomly finding you? Like how, how is that relationship to going deeper into the question that Tim asked? Like how, how, is, how is it even starting? How are you meeting them? Yeah, so for a lot of our work, it's like, you know, you put work out, you do some good work with someone and then they're liable to your top of mind. So then they're more likely to share it with somebody else when somebody else has a similar need. Um, so there's that whole just like organic relationship side of things. But then like, I actually do have a CRM. I use monday.com and there's others that are great where I have a list of our, all of our clients, potential clients. And then we're, we're doing check-ins. I'm doing some cold reaching out. Um, so, you know, having a system in place is going to be way better than not and just hoping that things work out. You know, one of the cool things about not having to advertise yourself is that you haven't had to put spend into marketing. But one of the negatives about that is you get whatever work comes to you, right? So there may not be like an intentionality behind that. Are you wanting to work within like maybe like one particular vertical? Well, if, it's, if you're just taking whatever comes to you, it might not be as honed in and specific on the kind of work that you really want to do. And that's going to require you to systematize things and begin to do more reaching out directly, whether that's at a networking event or just hitting up people through LinkedIn or whatever. But I think in my industry, you have to add value before you can just do an ask. And usually people need something from you before they'll just give. Um, and that can just be like, hey, man, I, I appreciate what you all are doing. Um, this is great. And like truly, but you need to be true 
to what you're saying, you know. So don't just blow smoke to try to get work because don't be again, don't be that like back. that. Like the people on LinkedIn that literally are just copying and pasting the same thing that you can tell, and it's like I, yeah. sometimes I literally just respond and go, "Does this work for you?" And usually they just don't yeah. respond, and I'm like, mm-hmm. like. I, it's just, I, it seems odd. It's like, you, you know, one of the things that you've said is, you know, be genuine, be genuine to your brand. It's like, it, it's clear as day. This is a copy and paste job. Like, and then the funniest is when like, they have like dear name and it's the, you know, it says name instead of their name. It's like, you know, like how lazy can you be? It's, it's... Yeah. And you know, with AI, um, it, that, all that's going to actually be, I think, scarier because the messaging is going to get better. Like I've already noticed in my spam email that a lot of the emails that I've received from all these different vendors who want to do white label stuff or like, we'll help your agency get a bunch of um, leads and things that the, um, you know, the copy that I'm getting is way more polished Hmm. and more um, conversational. And, but it's still definitely spam. And, um, I'm wondering when that hits on LinkedIn, because <laughs> yeah. I think that you could, you're going to be able to plug in and get all sort all sorts of different um, variations that you could send out um, if people are smart. They'll use it to their advantage. It's out there. It's free. Yeah, I mean, it's gosh, going back to the AI, AI thing again. I mean, yeah, I mean, you're right in the sense of like these these deep fakes at least what I'm see- hearing through different things that I'm listening to uh, or paying attention to, like the, uh, the whole chatbot thing that is soon, you know, you're going to have people, Tim cook or whatever, that uh, is going to have ever an ML, an LLM connected to him uh, with a deep fake when he's, he's reaching out to you saying, Hey, Jared, it's time to upgrade your iPhone. Uh, you know, what can we do? What I, it's just, it's going to be really, really interesting to see where all this stuff goes. It, um, it's bananas. Yeah. But yeah, so I, I think in a way that being true and spending your personal time, which is the most valuable thing that you have to reach out directly to other folks is going to become even more important, you know, and showing personal touch, however that can be, whether it's like a literal letter in the mail of to your current clients or potential clients saying thank you or like, man, this was so cool. This event you had, I was glad to be a part of it, you know. Stuff like that is going to matter even more. When it comes to video, something about a polished video, you can tell it's it's a lot better, right? So a movie is being made, for example. I don't think people think about this, but a, a movie takes, what, six, eight weeks typically to probably actually record the movie. Um, and then maybe longer. What do you, How long do you think? A 90 minute movie, how long do you it, think that takes? I mean, it, yeah, it depends. You know, like this, the new Mission Impossible that came out, it took them a couple of years. Um, okay. I well, think that, that the standard. That's probably an outlier. <laughs> that's probably an outlier. The, the, the standard feature film, I think, is taking at minimal, uh, you know, maybe half a year. To, re- to actually shoot. just record it? To just to shoot it? Okay. Okay. So let's say six months to, to shoot. It's then probably what, another 12 to 18 months to actually edit that thing? which I don't think most people think about. So when they're recording a video and they just don't edit it to any capacity, it's like there, there's an art to that. Is that something that you find that is a difficult thing to sell when you're selling your vision of 
of the piece of content that you are putting out there? Do they get that? Hey, like, yeah, we're going to record this and it's going to, it's going to take a day to record, but now we're going to have to spend a couple of weeks actually, you know, producing and editing this thing so that it's polished to the way that's going to, to do what you want it to. What, what's that? What are those conversations like with, with clients? Yeah. So if a, a client of ours hasn't engaged with a formal larger scale video production process, then there's definitely education that has to be, that has to go into it, you know, um, for sure. Other people who already have marketing budgets in place and have paid for it before understand that, uh, you know, what does video cost? You know, uh, that's a common question for someone who may not have a lot of experience paying for one. Um, and it's, I, I liked the analogy of like, well, what does a home cost, right? How many bedrooms? Where is it located? How many, how many bathrooms? Uh, and how long is it going to take to build that house, right? Are we going to need special products? Are you doing really refined woodwork throughout the house? So like with the video, the, the, the questions we have to ask is how many days is it going to take to shoot it? What kind of crew are you going to need to shoot it? And then with the post-production and the pre-production, how many people are going to be required to be a part of this project? That all That's all going to to change how much it's actually going to cost. And when I try to like go back to the beginning before we get into all those details and be like, okay, why are you wanting this video? What are the goals? What are the outcomes you're after? Is it a single video? Is it a series? Can we pull more out? Like we were talking earlier, can we pull out multiple types of content from this production that we're creating? And based off of that, then we know, okay, well, to meet those goals, we're going to, this is what we're going to have to do to get there. Right. So that's kind of the process and the way that our billing structure for larger scale videos is similar to like what they do in Hollywood, where you're billing um, day rates for crew, uh, rental rates for gear, and then everything's itemized on the pre-production and the post-production side as well. So I, I don't know if that answers your question, but. Hmm. It's kind of the process. There's a lot to a video. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so to do like a, a 30 second, 60 second type of uh, video, how much, how, how much footage would you have to record in order to get enough uh, so that you can edit it down to, to that 30 or 60 seconds? Man, you know, that's a great question. You know, you can look at a lot of different 30 second commercials that are on TV and how much footage was have to cap had to be captured to create it. You know, some of them maybe were a, it's a global campaign where you're literally on multiple continents grabbing footage. Um, nowadays, there's a lot of stock video that you can pull in for that kind of thing, especially if it's iconic landmarks that you somehow want to pull into the video. But on a more local scale, it's like, well, what kind of shots do we need in this? Where are we going to have to go to get those? Um, what kind of gear are we going to have to use to get the kind of shot that represents, you know, what you want the video to look like? Yeah. Are we going to need some do dollies or are we going to need, you know, some more advanced equipment rather than just a camera on a tripod? So there's a, there's a lot of questions that have to be answered for high end custom video. When people are doing stuff in cities, do they have to get permits to use the cities that have to pay for um, you know, closing a city block, things like that? Like, how does that work? Well, I mean, yeah, if you're closing a block, you're going to have to work with the city. 
but if if you're just like posting up a camera on a sidewalk in a public place there's no permit needed unless some cities have different rules like if you're in dc like especially on the mall and you're not allowed to put a tripod down unless you have clearance for that if you don't have a tripod and you have it handheld i believe that you're cool and that's that's like in the dc mall area Is that a safety reason yeah i, I yeah they have they're, they're more strict there um but you know i would, it's always safe to just check in with the city before you film like hey this is what we're thinking are there rules uh but in general like public places are public places and you're allowed to bring a camera and shoot like people walking around like you're in public you know you're there so remember when you couldn't take like your a camera into a concert or or any kind of like entertainment thing and now they're just like screw it bring it in and that's kind of like a marketing angle to a lot of these to, to some right i know some people say no cameras uh like no comedians usually want it i know uh some places you can't you actually have to lock up a, a camera but like there is a marketing angle to that that is that is pretty unique um i do think it's annoying when someone's got a, a camera up in front of you recording the whole damn thing but there is something special yeah. there that how that's kind of flip-flopped and wasn't allowed now it's allowed now it's it's interesting yeah i i think that if you were to bring in like a big dslr with a long lens you'd still get shut down at most concerts um but like the whole bringing phones in like why fight that if i'm um a band or something you know i'm like look take a photo post it share it if you have a good time just don't be obnoxious to the people around you you know we we live in a day and age where you want to be talked about if you're trying to you know if you want to sell more tickets usually it's good if people are saying good things so i'd be all about it if i was the artist gosh i can't remember i just had a conversation last week with someone that went to a concert i think in the boston area a list a list concert that cell phones were not allowed well bruno mars does that I, that's who it was yeah bruno mars yeah thank yeah. you zach yeah. i mean i just just the logistical there, hassle of oh it's it's terror it's i it's a crazy line yeah, but you know what? I think if we're all honest with ourselves, like the photos and videos that we get at these concerts are really not that good, right? And it, if you are able to just be like, I'm forgetting my phone, like I'm not even going to take it with me to the show. And I'm going to be 100% physically present in the people I'm with and taking in the media or whatever I'm watching. Um, I think you'll have a better experience. You know, I, I don't know how many sports photos I've seen recently where somebody's making like a crazy dunk in the playoffs or something and everybody's on their phones like this. And like how many people are like looking at their phone instead of looking at the person right there in front of them doing this incredible feat of mm -hmm. humanity that they mm -hmm. paid how much to, it's like, bro, put the phone away and just watch greatness happen and truly experience it. And you can watch the replays on ESPN when you get home, you know, in a higher quality the, piece the 8k the 8k cameras yeah. that they're shooting them you know that's that's um, kind of where where i'm at on that it's it's interesting i agree you know be in the moment enjoy it because you never know how many people are actually looking back at their, you know their their camera a year later be like oh look that was this thing it's like oh, you're recording this for nothing so um i'm a 39 year old male and i still watch wwe um and when i go to these wrestling events i take very few pictures usually it's just like where am i sitting 
get a reference, mm-hmm. whatever. I'm not like a lot of those people that are out there doing it. I went to San Antonio. I took like three pictures when I went to the Royal Rumble. Um, and, and most of them, I think maybe a couple more than three, but most of them were before the event even started. I think during the event, I took two pictures. And it's just like, what do I need to take pictures of this for? Like, I want to, I want to, I want to look at this thing and be, be involved in it, in the experience. And I think people are maybe missing out on that by, like you said, that the, the dunk and everyone's got a picture of it. It's like, um, did you even see the dunk? Like, yeah. Yeah. I would encourage people to, to put the phones away and try to enjoy the event. Um, but at the same time, like I want people to have a good time and like, if, if you need your phone to have a good time, I guess, you need your phone. I, I wish you didn't try, try to go without. I'm going to jelly roll in a couple of weeks. I've only heard, I've heard one of his songs now, Tim, I finally know one of his songs. Um, I, well, I don't know if I know it, but I heard it. And, um, I do not plan on taking a single picture at that, that event. Well, actually people watching pictures, maybe that'll, that'll be there. Perhaps. Yes. Yeah. I'm the same way. I, I, uh, very, very few pictures. I may take a, a 30 second video of this, the song that I really want to hear just so that I can relive it later. But I find that if I take a video at a concert any longer than 30 seconds, then I get bored of it afterwards. But um, I'm with you. I just, yeah, that's uh, logistically speaking. I can't imagine 40, 30, 40,000 people going through lockers to get their phone, stow it and then get it when it's done. With mobile ticketing, I mean that just just has to be wild. Well, how do you get to your seat? Well, that's right. Yeah, it, the most recent event I went to was actually in uh, Carnegie Hall in New York City, where we had to put our our phones away, and they just you had it on you, you just couldn't take it out during the the performance. And if you, there are a couple people who tried to break the rules, and the, they had the ushers there in like a second, man. They'd be mm-hmm. like, <laughs> usually, yeah. Uh, um, comedy shows they're very the ushers are pretty quick at that i guess because they don't want people to see the shows because they do the same show over and over again i guess that's the reason why. yeah they don't want you to release the, the all the material before it gets to yeah. your area you know right or or if they're preparing for a netflix special or something they want all that stuff to be fresh i would imagine i don't know or it's just not perfected yet yeah, I know a lot of comedians will try different stuff out before the big recording, you know, and they're trying to figure out, okay, what fits, what doesn't, what hits, you know. Yeah, Kevin Hart talks about that in his book, The Crazy Book. He has two books now, right, Tim? Yeah. The Crazy One, where we learn about his dad being ridiculous. I think he talks about, you know, figuring that out on smaller stages and stuff like that. And it's it's a really unique aspect to to that world that I don't think people give that credit to. Like it's damn hard getting someone to laugh when you got even 30 people in a crowd. And it's pretty crazy to hear him go to a stage that has just a handful of people try stuff out. And they're like, this ain't funny, bro. Like, <laughs> yeah, dude, I think that yeah, being a warm up act at a conference at a comedy show has got to be just brutal. I mean, it just people that's got to be super, super tough. Yeah, you know, there's there's certain experiences in life that I'm like, oh man, if everyone did this at least one time, would we have a better frame of reference for how the world works? And maybe trying to be a stand-up comedian just once, yeah. everyone <laughs> gets up in front of the, people hate public speaking already, but now they get up and try to make people laugh. 
will make you appreciate the great ones and just anyone do, doing it decently, successfully. As a guy who's been on a stage hundreds of times, I have no interest in doing that. And sometimes I think <laughs> I'm funny. Like, I just, like, I, I would not want to go yeah. out there. Like, it's just, that actually seems terrifying to me. It's. Yeah. I mean, so I, it, my wife and I, we were having the debate. Uh, we went to go see Sister Hazel a couple of weeks ago. They had their 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 time in the spotlight in the, the mid-90s or whatever. So we went, and, and it was a small crowd in a small venue, but the people there, they knew, we, we knew every word, every song, and they were, I mean, it was just, they were into it. So there's that side of it. Or, you know, do you want to be the opener? We went to see Chris Stapleton last Friday, sold-out show. There's probably... At that, yeah, there was people got there early, so there's probably 15,000 people there for the opener, not paying any bit of attention to the opener because they're there to see Chris Ableton. So, it's like, as a performer, what would you rather have this small, passionate crowd or a large crowd that uh, that has no idea that you're even performing? Well, if I'm answering that question, I want the people who care, yeah. I, I would lean but you gotta, as well. But you have to convert them. And so yeah. as a guy, you know, pulling that back into a wrestling reference, a lot of wrestlers will say, hey, I want to get this opportunity. And then when you get on stage, it's your opportunity to get the, that crowd to engage with you. Yeah. And so you're not going to just get that because you went out it, because you didn't do anything. You got to figure out a way to get them to to support you, to boo you, you know, in this case, booing can be a good thing, booing, cheering, whatever. And so I would say the opposite of you guys, like you got to convert those people. Somehow those people that are in that crowd, if you got 15,000 people, you want them to learn about you. Like here's your time to change their mind about you and put on a better show. I would, I would want to put on a better show than Chris Stapleton in that case and be like, yeah, like, how do we do this? Like, yeah, but there, yeah, but there's, there's unwritten laws about that too. You can't outperform the headliner. No. I mean, it, uh, <laughs> then, then you know what the the headliner needs to show up, and he needs to put on a better show. Yeah, and I so, mean, there's things, and I'm sure Jared probably can speak better the at it than I can. But I mean, there's performers and there's entertainers, and uh, Stapleton is a he is a performer, not an entertainer. And yeah, so I think that you have to stick to when you're when you're getting your opening acts. You 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 need to get fellow performers uh and not a entertainer so to speak that's gonna out out entertain you but the whole the whole music scene i think is fascinating just how everyone is groomed and how you go through the ranks to get where you need to be and uh i mean it's it's, it's especially in the country music scene it's very very you gotta you gotta go through the paces and you gotta work yeah. your way through the top starting at little whatever they call them down in uh, nashville uh honky tonks parlors honky tonks yeah got it. well jared uh it's been wonderful chatting with you is there anything you want to talk about that we haven't talked about no man i mean i keep chatting but this has been really good i appreciate you guys well we appreciate you and your donut talk your uh world talk your digital marketing talk, your photography talk. It's been great. Uh, you guys can check them out at Astoria.co. That's .co at the link on the screen or check the show notes. We appreciate your time, Jared. If you like what you watched today, 
download, subscribe, like it, love it, share know, it, share it. All the all the things. All the things. Jared, good to see anybody. We'll see you soon. Right. Thanks, Jared. Sounds good. That's Virginia somehow, I think. Two up, two up, two down.